And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on Monday, April 1st, 2019. Kicking off the show in memoriam to uh, the late, great ranking Roger from the seminal English ska band, The Beat, or as they are known here in America, The English Beat, uh, ranking Roger, uh, leaving us too early at 61, I believe. Uh, In any event... Big show to get to. We've got NBA playoff picture coming into focus as the Nets desperately try to to squeeze in either as the 8th, 7th, or perhaps maybe even the 6th seed, Um, although they've got a brutal schedule. We'll get to that. We've got Major League Baseball uh, starting last week. Mets off to a very promising, if not very early, uh, start. Their first series uh, against the Nationals down in Washington. Uh, we all remember the 11-1 start last year, so we're not going to get too crazy yet about the Mets, although this team has a very uh, different look and feel to it, and we'll get to that as well. Um, and we'll fa- finish up with a little bit of the NCAAs with some good games happening uh, since we last did a show, and of course MSU uh, quote-unquote upsetting Duke uh, yesterday among them. Uh, but we begin with the NBA and um, look, you know, mea culpa, uh, the last time I did a show, I told you I thought the, the Lakers were going to make the playoffs. They had LeBron James. The other teams didn't. Uh, I look like a fool. Uh, I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, the Lakers season and LeBron's first season in L.A. Uh, to say has been a massive disappointment, I think, is the understatement of the year. Um, you know, look. There, there, there appears to be uh, many issues going on over there, whether or not it's, you know, Rob Palinka, the general manager who was an agent and doesn't really know what he's doing, perhaps, um, the, you know, the specter of Magic Johnson that hovers over that team. I don't know. Listen, as great as Magic was as a player and as accomplished as he has been as a businessman, uh, I don't know that his presence necessarily helps the situation there. Um, And, uh, you know, look, and then Luke Walton is the coach. Um, You know, there's there's a faction of people out there, a a, a fairly loud one, that feels like LeBron is somewhat of a coach killer. I find that notion ridiculous. Um, You know, who wouldn't want to have him on their team? I'm not saying he's easy to coach. He's not. In terms of when you have a personality that outsized and you have a, a star of that magnitude, I'm not saying he doesn't take to coaching. He does. He always has. Um, but look, it's not easy to coach a, a star like that in a lot of ways. You know, I used to make fun of Joe Torre when he managed the Yankees with all that talent. But honestly, but you know, between you know, aside from rather making. You know, game in, game out decisions. Probably the best thing the Tory ever did was was manage that team of those personalities in this spotlight that is New York. And so, you know, when you're in LA and now you just got LeBron James and you've got Magic Johnson, who's a living legend, lurking over your shoulder every two seconds. I mean, it, it cannot be an easy task for Luke Walton. Uh, so. You know, obviously expectations were high this year. Um, most people thought with that young, talented roster of Kuzma and um, uh, Ingram and, you know, even guys like Josh Hart, people were high on. He had a very poor season, didn't even crack the rotation. But then they added Ronda. But look, a lot of people, myself included, also thought it was odd that they, uh, they added some weird personalities like JaVale McGee and Lance Stevenson and Rajon Ronda, uh, just to name a few. Um, and they didn't really add shooters, which is what, you know, that's how it works today, and particularly with LeBron, obviously, uh, demanding tons of attention. You want guys that can space and spread the floor, and particularly in today's three-point happy NBA, for better or worse. Look, I don't like it. I'm on record as saying I don't like the way the league is, is the game is played in today's league. But that's that's how it's played for the most part. Um, plus, it also happens to suit LeBron James's skill set as well uh, to be able to have surround him with a guy, a bunch of guys that can knock down threes. 
Um, but in any event, it's, it's been a total and utter disaster out there in, uh, in L.A. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what happens, what transpires now in the offseason. You know, of course, there was the whole Anthony Davis uh, saga. Was he, you know, with his agent, who's also LeBron's agent, basically saying he wasn't going to resign with New Orleans and, you know, the, the Lakers are getting it, it somehow getting released. The Lakers basically offered everybody on the roster except for LeBron for Anthony Davis. Uh, then guys got hurt. I mean, just everything that could go wrong went wrong there. Uh, very disappointing season. So the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs. Obviously, they'll be uh, you know a lottery team. Uh, they've got cap room. We'll see what they do. Can they make a trade for Anthony Davis? Um, will they sign one of the other big free agents? Remains to be seen. Um, but let's take a look at the East real quick. Uh, Bucks in great shape at fifty-seven and twenty, except for the fact that Antetokounmpo has got a bad ankle. Uh, here's an idea. When you're seven feet tall, maybe don't wear dopey low-top sneakers if you've got bad ankles. That's number one. <laughs> I mean, I saw the other day, they show him roll his ankle. He's got low-tops on. And now, listen, I understand a lot of guys wear low-tops in the NBA these days. Uh, you know, James Harden, I think, chief among them. But um, it, 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 it seems silly to me. But, uh, you know, listen, I grew up in an era when basketball sneakers meant high tops. I mean, that's, you know, I, I was around when the first Air Jordans dropped. So, um, and, I, you know, I used to wear the same Converse high tops, uh, not the Chuck Taylors. I'm not that old, but I did wear the same co- high tops uh, Converses that Bernard King wore because that was my guy. So, um, but anyway, Bucks 57 and 20 uh, look to be, uh, they have the best record in the East and maybe in the NBA. Yes, they do. Um, and uh, with five games to go, three-game lead on Toronto for the number one overall seed here in the East. Um, you know, look, the issue with the Bucks is the bulky ankle for Antetokounmpo and Malcolm Brogdon's hurt. Now, he should be back by the second round. You would think they should be able to get past whomever the, the eighth seed is going to be. Um, so, you know, but he's a very important part of what they do, uh, you know. The I believe second round pick out of UVA a few years ago. You know, again, you know, it's a, it's it's amazing. I know I say this, I sound like a broken record, but it's amazing how the NBA does not learn its lesson. And here's a guy that was a, a very productive player at a top school, right? At UVA, top basketball school in a top conference in the ACC, right? But God forbid, you know, he committed the the, the cardinal sin. He 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 played four years, so we we can't have that. Nope, can't have that. That's a, that's a second round pick. He's not going to be a lottery pick because he's not some guy from Europe nobody ever heard of. <laughs> or, you know, he's not 19 or 18 and a one-and-done guy. No, 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 no. We can't have that because his, his, his ceiling's not high enough. Ridiculous. Anyway, um, so he's a huge part of what they do uh, in the backcourt with, along with Eric Bledsoe. Um, and uh, they're definitely going to need him. You know, they got Miritich, too, in a trade. Uh, you know, sweet shooting big man who's bounced around a little bit lately here. Who's with the Bulls and he's with New Orleans. Um, he's also hurt. They need him back. Uh, you know, listen, the, the, you know, Chris Middleton's had a great year. He's going to make himself a ton of money. You know, guy's been a bit of a late bloomer at 27. He's been a nice player the last couple of years, really taking a big step forward this year. Uh, small forward. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got uh, Brooke Lopez is, has had a good season for them. I mean, look, the Bucks are 57-20. and 20. I understand the East is not the same as the West, um, you know, not even close. But let's just, let's just take a quick look at some of the stats here. So Antetokounmpo uh, averaging um, 27 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists, 1.3 steals, and 1.5 blocks. It's pretty good. Chris Middleton's averaging 18 points, uh, six rebounds, four assists. Nice, well-rounded game, and one steal a game. Uh, then you've got Bledsoe at 15 points, just short of five rebounds and five and a half assists. Nice. Brogdon, again, I just talked about him, 15.6 points per game, uh, four rebounds, three assists. Is a kind of a quasi, is a combo guard, really. Um, and then Brooke Lopez, we talked about him. You know, he's, he's kind of turned himself into a three-point shooter, if you can believe it. A uh, guy who is, you know, uh, who's also still a very talented low-post scorer. Um, you know, the thing, thing that worries me about the Bucs is their bench and their depth, right? 
I mean, you know, are they going to get Miritich back? How's he, how effective is he going to be? Ilya Sova, you know, has been a productive bench guy um, for most of his career. You know, Pat Connaughton, guy, kid from, I think, Notre Dame, has had some moments this year. Tony Snell, Sterling Brown. I mean, it's, it's not a great bench. So, you know, that and, – and listen, I understand in the playoffs teams tend to shorten their bench. Um, but then that means, uh, you know, listen, Antetokounmpo is going to have to monster games. Middleton's going to have to play well, right? And they, they need Brogdon back by the second round and playing well. Um, you know, a bit of a wild card will be Bledsoe. Bledsoe has games where he looks amazing, and then he has games where he, you know, will throw up a, a, a real clunker. So uh, he, to me, I think is a wild card uh, in that uh, scenario. So you've got the Bucks at one. You've got Toronto at two. I mean, Toronto easily could be the favorites to get out of the East. I mean, when they're at full strength, that team is tremendous. You know, I mean, they've got Kawhi Leonard, obviously. You know, Lowry has had a good year, but he's, you know, he, again, hurt. Um, but this guy, Pascal Siakam, has taken a major step forward this year. He's played well. Serge Ibaka has had a resurgence, if you will. Uh, has played really well, averaging 15-8 and eight this year. Um, you know, they've got, they picked up um, Marcus Gasol. Uh, they, you know, Van Vliet is good off the bench. Danny Green, you know, solid, not spectacular. Uh, they got Jeremy Lin for bench depth. Norman Powell. I mean, they, they, that's a good team. I mean, they, they're, they're a good team. They're, they're deep. Uh, and, you know, they've got one of the top five players in the league in Kawhi Leonard on that team. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't see any reason why they can't get out of the East, frankly. Um, and then you've got, uh, who's in third now in the East? I guess Philly um, playing well lately, eight and two in their last ten. After they kind of muddled along for a, a bit, you know, same thing with them, health, right? But I mean, they're starting five with you know Embiid, now Tobias Harris, who by the way is a good player, but Tobias Harris also is a bit of a tease. I mean, he's a guy you know that was with Orlando then he went to the Clippers now I mean it's his third team already in what 5 years in the league um you know again it has all the measurables looks the part right 69 610 can shoot can score can get to the rim uh he has games where he looks great and he has other games where you don't even know he's on the floor so you know it'll be interesting and I don't think he's ever played in the playoffs before so it'll be interesting to see but that starting five of Simmons and Bede Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and J.J. Reddick's as good a starting five as there is in the league. Same thing that worries me about Milwaukee. Same thing with the 76ers. Their bench is a little soft. Uh, then you have the Celtics who, you know, as the world turns in, in, in Boston Celtics land. I mean, listen, Kyrie Jenner Irving, I, I, I want I'm, – I'm on record right now. It's April 1st, 29. I want no part of drama queen Kyrie Jenner on the Knicks. None. Zero. Okay, all this guy does is moan and groan every single day. I mean, I'm glad Barkley called him out on it a couple weeks ago. I was like, dude, what are you so miserable about? You make $18 trillion and you play basketball for a good team, on a good team too, by the way. Very good team. A lot of talent on that Celtics team. But, you know, look, they haven't been horrible. They're 45 and 32, but a lot of people thought they were going to be the top team in the East this year. Now, a lot of people also thought uh, Gordon Hayward was some sort of superstar. I, I kept trying to tell everybody last year he's not. He's a nice player, certainly not a superstar by any stretch. People are like, oh, they're getting Gordon Hayward back. I, I mean, people pay attention. They follow the league. Just because you're the best player on a mediocre team does not mean you're a superstar. Lots of guys can average 20 points a game in the NBA if you give them 20 shots a game. And again, nothing against Gordon Hayward. He's a fine player. He's a nice player. But he's not a star. Celtics did just fine without him last year. Probably should have made it to the finals. And it wasn't because they didn't have Gordon Hayward. Then you got the Pacers. The Pacers and Celtics right now are both tied same record, 4-5. I guess Celtics on the tiebreaker. Then out of nowhere are the Pistons at 39-37. and I mean, they were under 500 not that long ago. Um, and then you've got the Nets at 39-38, but with a brutal schedule down the stretch the heat at 38 and 38 and then the magic still hanging around at 38 and 39 so between the pistons 
the Nets, the Heat, and the Magic. We've got four teams vying for three spots, and they're separated by two games. So these last six games are going to be of paramount importance, obviously. So let's take a quick look at the Nets' schedule, shall we? Um, it's, it's not easy. Now, they could catch some breaks here where some teams might be resting guys, which, you know, is the bane of people's existence these days. But it's just, unfortunately, it's how it goes. Like, for instance, tonight, they play the Bucks. I don't know if Antetokounmpo is going to play. He may not play. You know, I, I, I think if you're Milwaukee, if there's any question with the ankle, you sit him with, a, you know, a three-game lead with five games to go for the number one overall seed. Then they got it. So they're home against Milwaukee tonight. Wednesday, they're home against Toronto. Now, again, they could catch a break there. Toronto may be locked into the two seed by then. And, and you know, they may rest some guys, too. So they could get a break there. Then they're at Milwaukee on Saturday. Again, same thing. At Indiana. Indiana, that game is going to be playing for something, probably, because they're going to be jockeying for the four or fifth spot now with the Celtics. And then you've got Miami to close out the season at home, that game could be, you know, win or go home. So, you know, again, Nets could be catching a break. Like, for instance, you know, they played Boston the other night on Saturday. It was the second night of a back-to-back for the Celtics. Kyrie Irving didn't play. Uh, and the Nets won fairly easily. So, you know, and they were on a long road trip. You know, they got back. They got, let's say, one, two. Well, three of the last five are at home. Um and the other two games are central time zone, so not a big deal. It's not like they're going out west anymore. Uh, listen, Nets, figure out a way to go 3-2 and two here. If they go 3-2, and two, they're going to make the playoffs. Pretty sure. So, I, I, listen, I, I'd love to see it. And I'm going to say right now, the Nets make a playoff. If they make the playoffs, I will go to a game. I will buy tickets and go to a game. Because I like watching them play. And I can walk to the arena, so why not? All right, so that's the East, and now we turn our eyes to uh, the West, where, I I mean, listen, nobody dislikes James Harden's game more than I do, but you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he's had a tremendous year. He really has. I mean, he he has carried that team on his back. They're the third seed now. They're 49 and 28. I mean, look, let's just, we'll take a look at the numbers they're, they're ridiculous for Harden. I mean, and listen, I, I get it. His game is hideous. The beard is stupid. It's played. Get rid of it. Uh, the way He gets away with murder on the court. I mean, from traveling to the offensive fouls to getting to the foul line 17 times a game unfairly. I mean, listen, they, unless you're a Rockets fan, you cannot root for James Harden. I'm sorry. There's just no way. But you got to give the devil his due. I mean, the guy's 36 points a game seven and a half assists, even two steals. This guy never is known for never playing any defense. And he's also averaging six and a half rebounds a game. I mean, think, listen, I understand today's NBA, you know, anybody can walk a chew gum at the same time now can average 15 points because it's so soft because you're not allowed to play defense anymore. Uh, and, you know, and you can't defend jump shooters anymore. I mean, I was just texting my buddy Pete the other day. I'm like, remember when it was extremely rare to ever see somebody get fouled taking a three-point shot? Uh, because, you know, it was and it was highly frowned upon. I mean, part of that is the fact that way more threes get jacked up now. Uh, but also it's this new stupid rule where you have to give the guy space to land. So a guy can shoot the ball. You don't touch him. But then when he lands, if he maybe just nicks the side, the sole, the side of your shoe and then, you know, crumples to the floor like he got shot, like Harden does all the time, that's three foul shots. It's ridiculous. Having said all that. It's hard to argue with 36 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 7.5 assists. Now, he does average five turnovers a game, but he has the ball in his hands constantly because Chris Paul never plays. And even when he does now, they want to take some of his workload away. But, I mean, listen, Harden's had an MVP caliber year. He just has. I I, I mean, it's just just the facts. I mean, listen, again, I have no love for the guy as a player. I don't know, you know, what he's like personally. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, the way he carries himself on the court, though. I'm some, I, I really, I mean, I, I again, I understand it's, it's, it's today's NBA. And it's probably a good thing, but I can tell you right now, if James Harden played in the '80s and the '90s, he would have gotten punched in the face 
several times. I'm just telling you, it's several times. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you that's what would have happened because, I mean, he, he's, he's impossible to root for. <laughs> His body, oh, my goodness. I mean, he, 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 he projects a condescending air on the court that's, that's hard. It's really hard to pull off. In, in sports, I mean, it's, it's a smugness to it. I mean, even Tom Brady, well, I guess because in football they have helmets and stuff. But even someone as smug as Tom Brady, I, I mean, I think Harden's on-the-court demeanor is even more objectionable. Um, but in any event, uh, listen, the guy's he's a hell of a player, and he's having a hell of a year, and, and he might be, very well may be the MVP. Uh, so you got the Warriors jockeying with the Nuggets of all teams for number one seed. You know, the Warriors, uh, they've gone through a little drama themselves. They had a whole big dust-up with the officiating uh, a couple nights ago. You know, you've, it looks like Draymond Green's really starting to wear on, on, on Steve Kerr's last nerve. You know, uh, you know, much like Kyrie Jenner Irving, Kevin Durant's another drama queen who's always grousing about something. Uh, so, you know... Uh, but meanwhile, there they are at 52 and 24 because, look, when they click on all cylinders, they're probably the best team in the league still. You know, when Curry is going off for 35 points and making, you know, 10 threes and Durant's doing his thing and Klay Thompson's playing well and now they have, you know, Boogie Cousins and Draymond Green is jack of all trades, you know, sort of glue guy, does the dirty work. I mean, it's, it's a hell of a team. And probably the best starting five in the NBA. Their bench is a little suspect too, but again, when three of those five guys all go off for big nights, most of the time they're going to win. Nuggets, a bit of an unknown. We talked about uh, Yusef uh, Nurkic, their, their, their center. No, wait, hold on. And am I getting him confused with Nikola, Nikola Jokic, the center for the, 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 the Trailblazers who got hurt? I, I, I said this on the last show, and I swore I was going to get it right. And I keep getting these two guys confused. Why, why do I have such a hard time with this? Yeah, Nikola Jokic. Okay, yeah, I was wrong. Yusef Nurkic is the Trailblazers center. Nikola Jokic. Now it's, like, it's like Letterman doing Oprah Uma. I mean, I, I got to get my head out of my ass here. All right. So, I mean, we talked about him before, but he's also, as, as a center, center, seven-foot center, Jokic is almost averaging a triple-double this year. He's averaging 20 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists a game. Pretty good. Um, then they got guys like, you know, then the rest of the team, you know, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, guards, Paul Millsap, solid forward, you know, played for the Hawks on some of those good Hawks teams from not that long ago. Will Barton. I mean, but the rest of the team, you know, these guys, I don't even, I don't know who Malik Beasley is. I know who Mike Beasley is. I don't know Malik Beasley. I don't know who Monte Morris is. I know the Markeith Morris and, and his twin brother. I don't know who Monte Morris is. I mean, there's a lot of guys in this team I don't know. Yes, they have Isaiah Thomas coming off the bench. Uh, I don't think he plays that much, though, still. He was injured most of the year. Um, you know, they, it's, it's, it's amazing that, really, that they're as good as they are with 51 and, and 25 record and still a chance, anyway, at the uh, best record in the West. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who wins that uh, mini battle. Then you've got the Rockets pretty much locked in at third. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. They're 49 and 28, and Portland's 48 and 28. And by the way, it's a good thing Portland traded for my man, Ennis Cantor. Um, now that uh, Nurkic is hurt, because uh, he's stepped in and played quite well for them, which is not surprising. I mean, he was playing off the bench anyway, and I've been saying this about him for five years now on the show. I mean, the guy's a double double machine. If he gets 30 minutes, he's going to give you 15 and 10, at least. Easy. And yes, I understand he doesn't shoot the three, and he's not a great, the greatest defender. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, Portland's eight and two in their last ten, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what their exact record is since they got Ennis Cantor, but it's very good. I think they won the first four games after he got there. So, uh, in any event, I'm glad the Knicks couldn't figure out. You know, they, they, they have no use for a guy like Ennis Cantor. But somehow the Trailblazers at 48 and 28 could figure out, out a way to get him some minutes. Um, the Jazz are 46 and 30, probably locked in to the fifth seed. Although, boy, you know, it's funny. The Clippers, 8 and 2 in their last 10, 47 and 31. Doc Rivers might be the coach of the year in the NBA. I mean, again, they traded Tobias Harris. Everybody thought they were waving the white flag. And meanwhile, 
uh, funny thing happened on the way to them supposedly waving the white flag, which is uh, they're, they played great. They played really well since the, the trade deadline. I mean, they were sort of hovering around 500, and now they're 16 games over. Um, and you know who's do, getting it done over there? Old friend Danilo Gallinari, former Nick. Let's take a look at his stats real quick. Now, he's another one. If a guy could ever just stay healthy, I mean, he gets banged up all the time. But, I mean, look, he's averaging just a, shot, a shade under 20 points at 19.8 a game, six rebounds, two and a half assists. Okay. I mean, you know, not eye-popping numbers, but pretty good. And then they've got, you know, they've got two of the best bench players in the league in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. Harrell's average, you know, Lou Williams averaging 20 a game. He's going to be the sixth man of the year again. And Harrell's averaging almost 17 and, and six rebounds a game off the bench. So two massive bench players. And then, you know, the rest of his team, though, eh, I mean, Shea Gilgius Alexander, the rookie from last year, point guard, and he's averaging 10 points and th- three assists. Landry Shamit, who they got from the Sixers in the Tobias Harris trade. So since he got there in 21 games, 11 points, you know, okay, okay, yeah, 11 points, two rebounds, two assists. I mean, hardly earth-shattering. Uh, I mean, they, 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 you look at this, the, the, the team and you say, you just sort of shrug your shoulders. But, again, when Gallinari, Harrell, and Lou Williams all have really good games, you know, they, they, they win. Now I don't think they're going to do. They're not going to make much noise in the playoffs. But again, I think it's a testament to Doc Rivers uh, to the fact that again, the world thought that they were giving up the season, and they've done just the opposite. And now they're in, you know, uh, vying for a, what is it now? The fifth seed, I believe, in the West. They currently are the sixth seed, but they could be the fifth seed. They're one game behind the Jazz. Now you got the Spurs again. We talked about them. 44 and 33. I mean, look, they've had their moments. Uh, you know, I saw them beat Golden State not that long ago. Um, you know, look, Lamarcus Aldridge. When when Aldridge and Demar Derozan have big games, typically they win. They need Derek White, the point guard, to play well for them. He plays well. He's a good barometer. If he has a good game, generally they win. Uh, and then this Oklahoma City Thunder, who are just you know basically stumbling down the stretch here. They're going to be the eighth seed, it looks like, at 44 and 33. They are. They're, they're locked in. They're 44 and 33. So the Kings aren't going to make it. Nice year for the Kings. One game under 500. Uh, good young nucleus there. If you're a Kings fan, there's actually some hope for the first time in probably 15 years. Uh, talked about the Lakers. Timberwolves are a mess. New Orleans is a mess. Memphis, I don't know what they're doing over there. Uh, Dallas, you know, with the Porzingis trade, we'll see if he plays and how well he plays. But they've got the great Luka, the great rookie Luka Doncic over there. Um, and then the Phoenix Suns, who are, you know, next to the Knicks, the most embarrassing franchise in the NBA. So that's your playoff picture. That's your NBA. We'll be back with, a, with Major League Baseball right after this. back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. Coming out of the break, Noise in This World. Also from the I Just Can't Stop It album from the beat. So, uh, just to put a bow actually on the NBA, um, you know, it's funny. So, uh, Frank Nilekina of the Knicks uh, basically has had nothing short of a, an atrocious sophomore season here. Uh, got hurt, came back, got immediately hurt again, is out. Um, again, seems like a nice kid. Uh, you know, nothing against the guy personally. Uh, get him out of here, okay? Uh, this was a Phil Jackson pick. This was Phil Jackson's middle finger to the organization on his way out the door. No one's going to convince me otherwise. Um, you know what? Let the kid go someplace else and, and try to jumpstart his career. We see it all the time, right? I understand he's going to be 20 years old next year, but whatever. They, they, you know, look, again, I've said this a lot. There are other guys in the Knicks that, listen, even Kevin Knox, who I have no time for also and would be thrilled if the Knicks got rid of him, at least I see some ability from him. Not a lot, not a lot but some. Now, he plays with uh, 
um, zero passion or intensity. I mean, could not be less of a Nick or New York City type player. Uh, I mean, he just sort of, you know, floats in and out of the game out there on the court. I, I mean, I don't understand what David Fisdale saw in this guy, particularly since he came from the Pat Riley Miami Heat organization. Um, and it's not like he's that dynamic a scorer yet. He might be. I mean, I get it. Look, he's the youngest kid, the youngest player in the NBA. But my point is, at least he shows some signs of having some skills. Frank Nilakina shows zero, none, Zippo. So get him out. And not if, because the Knicks aren't going to get the number one pick. Let's just be honest. <laughs> we just know they're not. They're just not. So not getting Zion Williamson. But if they had the second pick or the third pick, and they have a chance at John Morant, the kid from Murray State, take him. Okay? I'm not sold on Dennis Smith Jr. Why would you be? Now, Dennis Smith Jr., got, he's got talent too. Again, I can see the talent in Dennis Smith Jr. He's undeniable. But he's hardly a sure thing. Take Ja Morant. Knicks have a chance to take him. Take him. Listen, Emmanuel Moutier has made tremendous strides this year. He's, he might be the most improved player in the NBA. I'm still not sold that he's the answer, a point guard, though. And guess what? Nothing wrong with having two good point guards either. Take Ja Morant. All right. Moving on. Major League Baseball. So... Uh, first games are in the books here. Season started on Thursday for the Mets. Then they were off on Friday to, to, to a lot for a potential rain out on Thursday, which, you know, is funny since I, I don't think anybody put a gun to Major League Baseball's head and made schedule the Mets in Washington, D.C. on March 28th. Now, look, they got lucky. The weather was actually really good there over the weekend. Um, but, I mean, it, it, I mean, you know, look, the Mets are now in Miami. That would have made a lot more sense, but in any event, I quibble. Uh, so, Mets played Thursday off fr- off Friday, played Saturday, played yesterday. Took two out of three from the Nats. Uh, DeGrom in the first start was typical DeGrom in the sense that he wasn't his complete dominant self. Um, but when he did get into jams, he did the DeGrom, which is he did not give up runs. And I believe I heard Gary Cohn say this on the broadcast – Last year, 24 at-bats with the bases loaded, he didn't give up a hit. I mean, <laughs> that's just insane. That is insane. And he was his typical dominant self. He had runners on third twice with less than two outs, didn't give up runs, um, struck a dude out with a ridiculous 3-2 changeup that looked like all the world was going to be for a strike and then at the last minute dropped uh, out of the strike zone. I mean, he's tremendous. Uh, Pete Alonso, who Mets fans have been wanted to see, you know wanted to see ever since you know the middle of last year and the previous dopey regime you know didn't want to call him up um, and listen I'll give Van Wagenen credit for this he said all off season the Mets are bringing the top twenty five guys with them north they're not going to do the manipulating the service time nonsense so here's the deal the Mets would have started out the season with Alonso and the minors for the first two weeks they would have controlled his his rights essentially. For another full year. First of all, it's a stupid rule that needs to change. But second of all, good for Van Wagenen. Because teams have been doing this for years. And it all it does is create animosity between the player, his agent, and the team. And it annoys the fan base. And no team has any less credibility with its fans more than the Mets right now. They need to reestablish trust with this fan base. And that's a great way to do it is actually stick to your word. And I'll give Van Wagenen credit for this. Aside from the good moves that he's made in the offseason, which I've said previously, there is there seems to be a new attitude. It's not, let's always wait for the other shoe to drop. The woe is me. Let, you know what? Let's be bold. Let's be confident. And you saw it. I mean, look, Alonzo had a first three games tremendous. I mean, his first game was eh, okay. He had, he had his first base hit was a you know jam job up the middle. Okay, that's fine. Second game, crushed the double over the center fielder's head, smoked a double that got out. They hit the right field wall in about two seconds on a line. By the way, you know he's a right-handed hitter. Hit one to center. Hit one to right field. He's going to strike out. But by the way, both were on 
No, the double was on a 3-1 breaking pitch. He learned already that he's not getting fastballs and hitters counts. I mean, Scherzer made him look silly in the first game a couple of times. Scherzer does that to everybody. He's, you know, arguably, other than DeGrom, he's the best pitcher in the National League, maybe in baseball. So no shame in that. But the kid is a student of the game. He has a, a book that he keeps notes on guys. I mean, he's got enthusiasm. He's thrilled to be here. He's not afraid to say it or show it. It's such a breath of fresh air. And then you throw in Jeff McNeil, who had a great, whatever, month and a half last year, the last month and a half of the season, off to a good start at four hits on Saturday in the Mets' uh, 11-8 win. They won 2 nothing on Thursday, 11-8 on Saturday. Then even yesterday, you know, down, what, 4-1. Gesellman comes in, of course, has to give up uh, an insurance run. When it was 4-2, made it 5-2. Mets tied it off the the Nationals' bullpen, including their closer, Sean Doolittle. And then, you know, look, Justin Wilson gave up a home run in the ninth inning to Trey Turner. Uh, Could you quibble with the fact that he's a lefty and yet familiar, ready to come in? Yeah. You know, listen, I'm not a Callaway fan. Uh, He's already annoyed me already three games into the season. Right? He sat McNeil yesterday because apparently uh, Patrick Corbin is Randy Johnson, except he's not. But we have to sit Jeff McNeil the day after he went four for five, um, and you know again and and what was, oh he didn't pinch run for for Wilson Ramos the slow footed catcher when the Mets when the game was tied at fours, um, and then he gave up some some ludicrous answers why oh well if he comes out and then the other guy gets hurt then 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 you know we don't have any catchers well and this is not a Callaway issue but again another reason why you should have three catchers but Thomas Nito should not be one of them i have no idea what that guy's doing on the major league roster um i mean he can't hit at all and he's not even particularly good defensively so uh, and Devin Mazzaracco who all the Mets pitchers love throwing to particularly Jacob DeGrom who at least can run into a fastball and hit a home run every now and then didn't make the team over Tomas Nito are you kidding it's my one, my one quibble so far with the Mets as far as personnel is concerned. But getting back to Callaway, so he didn't pinch run, but he got away with it because the Mets ended up scoring a ton of runs anyway. Um, you know, he sat McNeil yesterday. It, you know, it, the Justin Wilson thing, that I don't, I'm not going to kill him on. It's early. It's the third game of the year. We're trying to see what Justin Wilson has. He's, he's been able to get righties out. He almost had Turner struck out on the pitch before. It was a 2-2 pitch. Easily could have been called strike three. He retired the first four batters he faced. He was looking good. It's not the end of the world. Sometimes you just tip your cap to the other team. Um, but, I mean, McNeil, Nimmo, Rosario, Alonzo, those four guys, and Conforto, throw him in the mix. He's not Mr. Rah-Rah, but whatever. Good five young players is the core of the team. And those four of those guys are all high-energy guys. McNeil's a high-energy guy. Nimmo, Alonzo. Um, and Rosario, all high energy guys. It's a breath of fresh air. Then you, you know, then you have Cano in the first game with the home run off Scherzer on a changeup that he smashed out to left center field. And then they bring in a lefty specialist to face him, and he gets you know does the Jeter with the the, the inside out swing, dunks one over the shortstop's head to drive an insurance a much needed insurance run, uh, makes a heads up play in the field, throwing a guy out at home plate. I mean Cano is just listen. Uh, he may get hurt. Uh, the, 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 he may all of a sudden forget how to hit. I mean, he, I understand it's spring training. He, he, he hit 420 in spring training. I mean, the guy, he, he looks amazing. Now, Callaway would be wise to give him a blow every now and then and keep him fresh at 36, right? And the Mets actually have the versatility to do that now because Van Wagenen has actually given the Mets some actual pieces here. Right, I mean, Keon Broxton's not a superstar. Went two for two with two stolen bases yesterday. It's a lot better than anybody backup outfielders the Mets had during the Sandy Alderson regime, right? And Lagares is the other one. He had a big pinch hit yesterday that tied the game at five. And we know he can go get it in center field. You know, Dom Smith made the team out of spring training. Now he's probably he'll probably end up getting sent down when Todd Frazier comes back. Um, but you know what? He had a, he had a uh, two-run single the other day, too, in the 11-8 win and comes in late for, for defense. I mean, it's just such a much – and listen, Lowry hasn't even played a game yet. Forget about Todd Frazier. The Mets would be just fine without Todd Frazier. It's been – by the way, it's been, a, it's been a nice respite 
without the constant quotes from Todd Frazier every two seconds uh, and his ugly swing and his 210 batting average. But hopefully Jed Lowry's going to come back. You know, you throw Jed Lowry into that lineup. And if look, if McNeil and Alonzo are the real deal, and I'm not saying, look, Alonzo has had a great first three games here. You know, if Alonzo hits 250 with 30 home runs, and which is not beyond the realm of possibility, I mean, that, that, that's tremendous. You know, if McNeil hits 290 with, you know, he's not a big power guy, but he might give you 15 home runs and, you know, 35, 40 doubles, 10 triples, 8 triples, drives and runs. I mean, look, Wilson Ramos, professional hitter. Cano, professional hitter. Nimmo, we know, will get on base a ton. Conforto can hit. Rosario, you look, it looks like he, you know, he had a he, fin- he had a strong finish of the year last year, looked good in spring training. Now, look, there's going to be times when he's going to look clueless and lost at the plate, no question. But, I mean, Mets have the makings of a very good lineup and a good bench. Now, get t- Travis Darno here. He'll be on the team soon enough and get Nito out of here. But I would bring Masarocco back to be the third catcher. I don't need to have Tim Peterson as the 12th pitcher in the bullpen, especially when you have guys like Gesellman and Lugo supposedly can go multiple innings. And Justin Wilson, who's not a lefty specialist, and they have a lefty specialist in Luis Avalon. And then you throw in Familia and Diaz, makes of a good bullpen. So, look, such a different look and feel around the Mets this year. And it's not, of course, you love that they went into Washington and took two out of three. But just overall, the overall tenor and vibe of the team, granted, it's three games. But you know what? You could you could sense it in spring training too. And again, the youth, the energy, the injection of energy, and no more this hand dog look. Woe is me, waiting for you know the next bad thing to happen. No, no, no. These guys they don't care. These these guys love baseball. They just want to go out and play. McNeil's a grinder. He's a dirt dog. Alonzo's a student of the game. He's a grinder. Nimmo's a grinder. Nimmo, they call him the happiest man in baseball. He has a smile on his face all the time. You know, they even had a typical little, typical Metzian end to spring training, right? Where the, 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 the geniuses that be, I don't know if it's a Van Wagenen thing or it's probably a Wilpon thing, wanted the Mets to go up to Syracuse and have a workout because that's where the new AAA team is. Because they finally figured out that maybe it's not a great idea to have a AAA team in Las Vegas. So they were going to go to Syracuse. But they went to Sarasota to play a game first on a bus for three and a half hours. Then they flew from Sarasota to Syracuse, except, of course, there was a a mechanical issue with the plane. So they sat on the tarmac for another four hours. And even before that, Syndergaard came out and said, look, championship teams don't behave this way. And it was before they re-signed DeGrom, which also was big, by the way, to not re-sign, but to extend DeGrom. Right, five years, one hundred and thirty something million dollars. It's the right thing to do, and if he blows out his arm tomorrow, I'm not going to sit here and complain a double a second guess it. Right, again, it's sending the message that we care about winning here. The guy's been a, nothing but a good soldier and a dominant pitcher. Right, reward that guy. Stop with the you know we, I don't have to hear about how he's going to be on the Yankees in two years, or the Braves, or the Nationals, or the Phillies, or the Dodgers. So that was important. But so they go up to Syracuse. They finally get there. And then Syndergaard grabs a Syracuse flag and runs it around the football field. And everybody had a good laugh. And Nimmo said, you know what? Maybe being on that plane was good. Everybody got to bond. We got to hang. So he took the glass half full approach to that. I mean, it's look, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure so far. And you know what? Nobody's been more critical of this organization, and rightfully so, than I have. They give you plenty of ammunition, but I'm done also waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm just going to try to have some fun with this team for a change. You know, I, I mean, I really, I've lost, I lost my way as a fan with, of the Mets. You know, I try to go back and listen, I understand I'm not 12 years old anymore, but, you know, that night when Mike Jorgensen hit, hit, hit a grand slam and I ran into my parents' bedroom, you know, elated, I mean, I, I don't know if I'll ever get back to that. You know, for a team that was about, you know, on its way to 90 losses. But 
you know, have some fun. Let's try to have some fun with this team. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Now, the other theme in Major League Baseball again this year is going to be just like it was last year. And that is there's some pretty good teams, and boy, are there some absolutely wretched baseball teams in Major League Baseball. You got the Orioles, who I understand just took two out of three from the Yankees, and the Yankees are annoyed. And listen, I get it. The Red Sox, they, they put up a stat the other day. The Red Sox went like 32 and 5 against, you know, the like the Orioles and the White Sox and the Tigers and the Royals. And who's the other really bad team in, in the in the AL last year? Maybe it was the Rangers, the Blue Jays. I don't know. They the, the point is they really got fat and happy on the really bad teams. The Yankees weren't bad, but they were like 11 games over against the really bad teams. Whereas the Red Sox, like I said, were like 20-something games over. And it was like a 90-game spread, and the Yankees ended up losing the division by eight games. I mean, look, you can look at it that way. Of course, you, you, everybody wants to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Uh, it's the first three games of the year, folks. Let's not get crazy. I mean, look, that Yankees bullpen should be, should be the best in baseball or or, at worst top five. I mean, with Britton, Batances, Chapman, and uh, who am I forgetting? Zach Britton, Batances, Chapman, and, oh, Adovino. And then you even throw in a guy like Chad Green. I mean, look, the Yankees bullpen is good. Now, couple couple cracks in the armor early, right? Chapman's velocity has been a little bit down, but Tantas didn't start the year with the team. He had some issues. His velocity was way down in spring training, some soreness in the arm. Uh, I saw they just put Stanton on the DL. Sorry, the IL, the injured list. Uh, today, you know, Aaron Hicks is already hurt. Now, obviously, they're not going to have Gregorius for the first half of the season. But the Yankees will be fine. They'll, they'll be fine. It's a good team. They'll be fine. Everybody just relax. Understand, you know, I mean, it's three games, people. They went one and two. I know. It's annoying. It's irri- but our Yankee fan would be irritated. But let's, let's not, you know, let's not break up the team just yet. They're going to be fine. But as I was saying, I mean, the Orioles are going to be god-awful this year. Um, Tampa Bay, don't ever count out because they won 90 games last year. Nobody knew half their players. Uh, Blue Jays are going to be probably really bad this year. I mean, if Marcus Stroman, you know, is even somewhat decent, he's going to probably be one of the hotter names as far as pitching, uh, you know, trade targets for pitchers. And I'm sure he'll be linked to the Yankees. Um You've got the Marlins and the National League East are going to be atrocious, but the rest of that division is pretty good. Uh, in the Central, White Sox are going to be bad. Tigers are going to be bad. Royals are going to be bad. It's going to be the Twins and the Indians again. You know, the Indians, uh, they got to just kind of keep their heads above water here while Lindor before, you know, and, and try to tread water until Lindor comes back. Um, that lineup, look at the Indians lineup right now. It's not very good. So that bears some watching. Twins, that division could be there for the taking for the Twins. And then NL Central, look, Cubs, you know, a lot of big names, a lot of guys, all the, you know, all the minor league guys, the gurus love Kyle Schwarber and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rizzo and Brian and all these, you know, Baez and Addison Russell and all. Some seems off with the Cubs. You know, Madden's the lame duck right now. Some seems a little off. The fact that Hugh, Dar- Hugh Darvish is an atrocity <laughs> doesn't help. I mean, he's been, he was awful for them last year. His first start this year was atrocious. He walked seven guys in two innings. So we'll see. The Reds probably going to be bad. I mean, even after getting Puig, you know, they signed Sonny. You know, the Yankees traded him Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray then after stinking up the joint for the Yankees. Right then, went on a little rant about how oh the Yankees tried to make him throw a pitch he didn't want to throw. He was awful in his first, and it was oh he's great away from Yankee Stadium. He was terrible in his first start. So I'm not buying the Reds. Brewers are good. Cardinals are good. Pirates, eh. But I mean, I think look, the Cubs have a lot of talent. They're not going to be bad. 
I mean, I would say at worst the Cubs are going to be a 500 team. But, I mean, you know, and again, the Reds should be better than they were last year. I mean, they, they have a decent lineup, or at least potential makings of a decent lineup. They should be able to score runs, particularly in that small ballpark they play in. But the Brewers are good, even though losing Corey Knebel for the season is, going to, is a hit, and Jeffries, uh, Jeremy Jeffers is, is hurt right now, but he will be back. Um, but the Brewers' lineup is good. I mean, Christian Yelich, four home runs in the first three games, or first four games. Um, you know, the Pirates are scrappy, pitching off. Cardinals most likely will be good because the Cardinals are almost always good for 50 years. <laughs> and in the West, look, Rangers are bad. Mariners, you know, Mariners may not be as bad as people think. I mean, I understand they just had a good series, opening series against the Red Sox. Red Sox starting pitching was awful. I mean, Sale was terrible. Porcello was terrible. Um, you know, the big question mark with the Red Sox, supposedly, is who's going to close games for them because they didn't re-sign Kimbrell, who still sits there unsigned. Uh, Bears watching, maybe maybe he'll go to Milwaukee now that they have need, even though they still have Hader. And then in the NL West, you know, look, people are all excited about the Padres and their, their great young players. We'll see. You know, my feelings in the Padres, barely a major league team. Uh, Diamondbacks, I think they're going to be pretty bad. But, you know, the Rockies will be scrappy. They're always a pain in the neck to play in Colorado for sure. Dodgers look like they'll be strong again. Giants don't look like they'll be particularly good. I mean, you know, the Orioles, Blue Jays two, Marlins three, White Sox four, Tigers five, Royals six, Rangers seven, maybe the Mariners eight, maybe the Diamondbacks nine, maybe the Jets. I mean, you, you, you could have 10 really bad teams in Major League Baseball this year. 10 really bad teams. Not good. It's not a good look. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Twitter is at Jamal About Sport and OS. Facebook page, Jamal About Sports, and the website, JamalAboutSports.com. Until next time, peace out.